And Lord, we, we approach this moment looking to, to hear from you, asking that you would speak into our hearts, guide our pathways, share wisdom, and strengthen us, Lord, for our own journeys of discipleship with Jesus. For we would ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, folks. Great to see you all. I hope you're all well, enjoying the summer holidays so far. Um, I was off for a couple of weeks. You, you probably missed me, or, or didn't, as the case may be. Um, but we were um, holidaying in, in Northern Ireland, in the Northern Irish Riviera. It wasn't Riviera-esque, <laughs> but it was nice. But so delighted to be back with um, family here at the People's Church. Back in July, I shared something that I, I feel the Lord has laid on my heart for us here at the People's Church. And I feel the, the instruction that he is um, laying out for us is, is quite simple. We are together to build a community of praying people. Now, hopefully you will remember um, taking a little bit of time to, to think about that particular phrase. But of course, we come off the back of a, of a season where we work through uh, the, the prayer course, some excellent input and information about how we can actually just pray, get on with actually praying. But coming off the back of that, I feel that, that, that this is a word that, that the Lord is sharing with us here at, at the People's Church, that, that all of us are part of the work of together building a community of praying people. And we simply considered the ways whereby we can get involved in that building work by deepening our own personal commitment to, to prayer, making it a priority in our own lives. But recognizing that we are called together to pray together, prayer is not simply an isolated individual thing that takes place in our lives. We are called into friendships, praying friendships. And actually, each of us, in our own way, shape, or form, we can find um, one or two people to pray with on a regular basis. But we looked actually at how that quite simple dynamic, personal prayer, praying with friends, also worked its way out in Jesus' life. We see Jesus both withdrawing on regular occasions to, to seek the mind and the heart and the will of his Father, but also we see him actively praying within his network of friends. And this week and next, I want to take a little bit of time at looking at one of the occasions where one of our gospel writers has actually recorded Jesus at prayer. We see a number of times in, in the gospels, about six all in all, that we get a little bit of a deeper dive into Jesus' prayer life. We get the detail of what he was actually praying about, who he was praying for, what he was doing in those times. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 26, I'll put the words up on the screen. But just as an aside, I think it's good for us to, to learn how to handle the scripture, um, whether that's on your phone, whether that's with an actual Bible. So if you, if you have it with you, turn to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read 10 verses verses 36 through to 46, and we're going to be looking at Jesus at prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we pick up the reading at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here 
while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him. And I began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I happened upon this text in my daily readings a a week or two ago, and as I was reading through this prayer that Matthew records for us, Jesus praying in Gethsemane, there there were a couple of things that grabbed my attention from the passage itself. But the main thing that got my attention was on the face of it quite an innocuous thing. It's the fact that Jesus asks his friends, three of his closest friends, Peter, James and John, to pray with him. And we're quite used to reading about Jesus going off and praying by himself. We're used to the thought of Jesus praying for other people. But on this particular occasion, what kind of grabbed my attention was the fact that, that Jesus asks his three closest friends to come and pray with him and to come and pray for him. <laughs> And I found that a little bit of an unusual thought for me, that that Jesus is asking somebody else to pray for him, to pray with him. Because at this moment in time, Jesus genuinely wants somebody to pray with him and genuinely wants someone to pray for him. Now, you and I know how that feels, don't we? There's particular occasions in our lives where we really appreciate a friend or a trusted Christian coming and praying for you and praying with you and, and for you, perhaps through a, a dangerous or a difficult moment in life. And in a sense, we get a little bit of a glimpse into the utter humanity of Jesus at this time. He wants prayerful companionship. But this, well, the most climactic and difficult moment in his life so far. We read, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And there was something in those particular words that struck me. Jesus' request for his, for his closest friends to stay here, stay close by me. 
Stand with me, stay here, and keep watch with me. That, in a sense, the words themselves felt really quite weighty to me when I was reading them. It was as if, you ever get those little moments where you read the Bible, and on occasion you almost feel like the words are directly speaking to you? Do you ever get that? It's not the norm, but sometimes something grabs you, and it's as if this is a personal direction to your heart. And I almost felt Jesus saying to me, and perhaps by extension us, stay here and keep watch with me. And there was something in those words that I felt brought me nearer to an understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus that brought me close to the heart of discipleship as I held those words prayerfully in my own mind, as I prayerfully tried to become responsive to what perhaps I felt Jesus say to, to me. I'm thinking that what is a disciple? There, there's all sorts of debate that goes on about what the word disciple explicitly and technically means. <laughs> but I think, and drawing from this particular text, that we could all agree that a disciple is a friend of Jesus who is invited to keep watch with him. I think we have here a wonderful definition of what a disciple actually is. A friend of Jesus who is invited by Jesus to keep watch with him, to stay with him, to travel with him. What's Jesus saying to the disciples at this point? Well, there is a literal meaning. He knows that his life is in danger. Therefore, he needs people to keep watch with him. He knows that there are violent men who are coming for him. And therefore, the request for a group of men to keep watch with him is a literal one. Protect me. Watch out for me. I am in danger. But I think that there's perhaps something that sits beyond the literal meaning of what it means to keep watch with Jesus. I think that in his discussion with these, his friends, he's asking them to be attentive to that which has his attention. He's asking them to enter into his own deep sorrow and trouble. We see it. He began to, be, he began to show his emotion with them. He told them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Some of you know what that feels like. Some of you have tasted of that emotion, a deep, deep sorrow that you think it's better to die. And Jesus is entering into the depth of the human experience here. And he's asking his friends, come and feel my concerns. Come and help me carry my burdens. St. Paul, in his own experience of meeting Jesus and getting to know him, he said this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. And in this passage in Matthew 26, I think what we see here is Jesus extending an invitation to his friends, to his disciples, and to all who will respond to his call to follow him. Well, he's inviting you and I, by extension, into a fellowship of the heart. What he says to Peter, James, and John all those years ago, he also says to you and I, stay here, stay here, stay close by me, and keep watch with me.
Now, I have learned, or rather, I should say, I'm learning that when Jesus says, stay here and keep watch with me, it's usually because there's something that I need to see. So on a personal level, if Jesus says something like that to me, well, I'm, I do well to heed his words. I don't always want to obey Jesus, but the longer I follow him, the longer I keep company with him, I'm finding the more cooperative I'm becoming with him. I can't always say that I'm always cooperative with Jesus, but hopefully I'm by God's grace becoming more cooperative. And the longer I follow him, the more I keep company with him, the better able I am to see that which has his attention. We humans are easily distracted, aren't we? Some of you haven't even heard that there because you're distracted right now. (laughs) Sometimes it's difficult to pay attention to something for an extended period of time. If it's not in 120 characters, for example, our mind wanders on to something else. I like walking and um, going back to one of the last half terms, I, I had an opportunity to go for a long walk and I took my son along with me. I say took is the operative word. I forced him to come with me. I, I try to force my wife sometimes to come walking with me, but she just won't be cajoled into it, but he had no choice. I was looking after him, and he didn't have a choice to stay at home alone. So um, I I took him, it has to be said metaphorically, kicking and screaming. He didn't want to go for a walk. He didn't want to go for a walk with me. He couldn't imagine anything more boring than going. I'm talking about a long walk here as well, not just one round the block, one in which you get into the car and you go for a drive to find a nice place to walk. And we went out to Roxton to walk around the fields around the abbey. Has anybody been to to, to Roxton, yeah. I know a couple of you live there. You, you, you have it right on your doorstep. But what a wonderful place right on our doorstep to go walking. But I've been, I've been trying to excite him about the walk and all the things that he might see. Looking out the window, sullen, sulking. You've done this to me, Dad. I can't believe you're taking me out for a long walk. But I kept on talking him through, saying, you're going to see things. It's a wonderful place to, to be. And, and mercifully for both of us, a short distance into the walk, I was trying to say to him, keep watch, keep watch. You see deer around here. Mercifully, within the first five minutes, we saw a couple of deer off in the, off in the horizon. And that was brilliant because all of a sudden, there was a joy in what he had seen. <laughs> he wasn't expecting to see. It's probably not a big deal. It's only a deer, isn't it? But... If you're more of an urban dweller in this urban metropolis like Banbury, you don't see too many deers running around the, the streets. So if you're a townie and you take a little bit of time in the countryside and you see some wildlife, it genuinely is kind of arresting. You know, your, your attention, well, it's apprehended. <laughs> it all of a sudden it becomes interesting. And the interesting thing was, for the rest of the walk, He was all eyes and ears, looking out for absolutely everything that was moving conceivably in the walk. (laughs) And we had entered into a little bit of a shared joy. I was joyful at the fact that he was just mesmerized by seeing a deer. (laughs) We had a a fellowship of the eyes on one level. We were looking at something together. (laughs) 
and that fellowship of the eyes become a fellowship of the heart. (laughs) And I think in a sense, Jesus does something similar with disciples. He says, stay here and keep watch with me. Look at what I'm looking at. (laughs) Keep attention to, to that which I know that you need to see. And as you do that, the fellowship of the eyes becomes a fellowship of the heart. You begin to see what Jesus sees. You begin to, to feel his burden, experience his joy. And I wonder, is this something that Jesus is saying to us collectively? Stay here. Keep watch with me. Stay here. Don't wander. Stay here. Don't stray. Don't be looking at the stuff that you know you shouldn't be looking at, but look at the stuff that I'm drawing your attention toward. He says that to Peter, James, and John. Stay here and keep watch with me. Let's return to the text for a moment or two. What specifically was Jesus asking these three guys to watch out for? Well, he says this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. Your motivation is good. You want to do the right thing, in other words. But the flesh is weak. There is another will, another force that is a little bit darker that's at work in you that wants to do contrary to the good stuff you know that you should be doing. Does anybody ever feel like that at any time? The good that you know you ought to do and want to do, you don't always get around to doing. If you are, take heart. You're in good company here this morning. You're not by yourself. But Jesus here is urging and directing his friends as a friend to watch and pray that they fall not into temptation. Where have we heard this in prayer before? Does that sound familiar to you? Of course, we have heard it in the, in the prayer that Jesus taught his, his disciples and us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Actually, if we step back and we look at the prayer in Matthew 26, we see that Jesus is actually pulling the, the different imperatives that he taught the disciples to pray into his own prayer. Your will be done, Father. Lead us not into temptation. But I think that what Jesus asks the disciples to be attentive of, watch that you fall not into temptation, I think that that perhaps is instructive for us and what he may be asking you and I to be attentive of as we keep watch with Jesus, as we try to be attentive with him, as we try to be attentive to the thing that he's drawing our eyes toward Now, Jesus knows that the disciples need to pray. This isn't just an exercise in spiritual disciplines, for example. He knows that there's something about this moment and about the moments that are coming their way that they need to pray. Why does he know this? Well, because what they are facing and are about to face are the very same things that Jesus himself is facing. And that is why Jesus prayed in the company of his disciples. He wanted them to pray for him that he would not fall into temptation. 
and then needed to be wrapped up and drawn into what Jesus was praying because they too needed to watch and pray that they would fall not into temptation. But here's the thing. They didn't do it. And now we get to the end of our text and the time for prayer is finished. Now watch what happens to Jesus who has prayed and the disciples who haven't. Jesus, having, pr- having prayed, is prepared for everything that he will face throughout this night and into the morning. Two trials where he is the subject of the questioning and the interrogation and the violence. And he shakes not. <laughs> He's prepared to die. He's prepared for the cross. And here's the thing, the agony of the cross would not have been possible without the agony of this prayer in Gethsemane. And prayer accomplishes something for Jesus deep within his resolve, deep within his spirit, deep within his soul, that which is later lived out in his obedience to the will of the Father. The agony of the prayer in Gethsemane allows him to embrace the agony of his physical body on the cross. And here's the thing. Prayer can accomplish that same obedience within all of us. We're not asked to do what Jesus has done, to take the sin of the world on our shoulders. But he asks us to shoulder some of his burden in the world. And prayer can genuinely help us shoulder that burden obediently. It accomplishes something within us as it did for Jesus, deep within our spirits, within our resolve, within our emotions, within our souls, that helps us be obedient to the will of the Father. Quite simply, we see Jesus, having prayed, is prepared for everything that he will face. The disciples, having not prayed, having fallen asleep, well, they're not prepared Their eyes are not looking at that which Jesus has tried them to be attentive to. And within the hour, we read that all the disciples deserted him and fled. All of them. All of them. Now, in one sense, when we read these scriptures, we step back And we take our place with all the disciples. And we watch the man, Jesus, do that which only he could do. We are on this side with the disciples, looking on as Jesus suffers and dies for the sin of the world. We stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and all that he has done for us. And perhaps in our own way, we can vividly remember the ways in which we metaphorically deserted Jesus and fled, took our eyes off the prize, followed the ambition and the lusts of our own eyes. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. And as I read through this passage. As I prepared to preach on it, I felt a a number of things that I think is just worth quickly saying today. 
And the first thing is this, that the invitation to stay and keep watch with Jesus is one that applies to all disciples. But I also think that that which he asks us to pray and watch over is really important. Pray that we will not fall into temptation. To stay with Jesus and to keep watch with him and to keep watch that we don't fall into temptation. That's maybe something that we all need to take seriously right now. And that, that seems quite serious. And in some respects, that is quite serious. Half the job of being a disciple, I think, is simply not falling into temptation. <laughs> Once you've done that, you're kind of a good way on in your discipleship, not falling into the daily temptation that comes our way. But I take heart and comfort from this for a number of reasons. I take heart and comfort from what Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, and what he says to you and I in this day and age. I take heart and comfort from it because, first of all, Jesus asks none of us to do that which he hasn't done himself. <laughs> what we face, Jesus also faced. He knows what it is to be tempted, quite simply. And he knows the way through temptation. So follow him, keep watch with him, and he will take you through temptation. The other thing that I, I take great comfort in is the fact that Jesus is a realist. He's not somebody who lives under an impossible ideology. He's a realist. He very much understands that temptation in this world is unavoidable, and that we, you and I, are prone, but not destined, to succumb to it. I think that's an important distinction. We are prone, but not destined to succumb to it. But having succumbed to temptation, which we do from time to time at the very least, I want to say that there is a way back. <laughs> there is a way back. If we were to look into the the next chapter here in Matthew's gospel, we would see that Jesus makes a way back for Peter and for all the disciples, even though they all fell into temptation. There was a way back for them, and there is a way back for, for us to repent, to turn around, to believe again in Jesus, to become obedient again to Jesus, even if that's not where we're at at this very moment in time. I've experienced this in, in my own life. At crisis moments in my own life, I initially watched and, and prayed. But like the disciples, I, I fell asleep and fell into temptation. Like the disciples, I understand Jesus' diagnosis. 